Well, good morning, Northbrook. What a beautiful weekend. Yes, and here we are inside. All right. So glad you've chosen to uh, to join us this morning on this beautiful... It almost feels like it's not October in Wisconsin. Like, are we sure we're in the end of October? Um, snow on Monday, 70 on Saturday, if that's not the most Wisconsin thing. Well, uh, if you are new to Northbrook, uh, welcome. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we are in the middle, actually at the tail end, of a series called It's Bigger Than Us. And the past few weeks, we've been exploring this idea that the kingdom of God is not just some place we go and we die. Uh, the kingdom of God is not just heaven, uh, but the kingdom of God is here and now on earth. Uh, Jesus said the kingdom of God is among us. And we as his followers have this opportunity as we live our lives, and the opportunity is way bigger than just grabbing a ticket to heaven and then standing around waiting to go there. Uh, the opportunity is that we would be a part of what God's doing on our planet, that we would bring his kingdom into our world by the way that we live our lives. And so we've been exploring different ways that we can do that over the, the past weeks, and we'll be exploring that today, and then we'll wrap up our series next week. And in conjunction with that, we are also in the middle of a campaign, a 40-day campaign called Operation Love Your Neighbor. Um, it is a yearly campaign that we do at Northbrook that focuses on being intentional to love our community well. And so we've sent out different groups uh, into the community to do different uh, service projects. And uh, thank you to those of you that have been a part of that. It's been so exciting to see the pictures and the videos of groups going out into our community and just serving without any other agenda than to love well. And just a reminder that Operation Love Your Neighbor is not about us as a church loving our community well for 40 days and then going, well, I'm glad that's done. Whew, don't have to love those people anymore. No, Operation Love Your Neighbor is, is simply a reminder of the opportunity that we have, the invitation, the responsibility that we have as followers of Jesus to love our community well every day of the year. And so I encourage you that as we begin to wrap up Operation Love Your Neighbor, that you would still be intentional to find ways to love and serve your community. Um, in conjunction with that, a couple, couple um, uh, reminders or some info about Operation Love Your Neighbor. First off, good news and bad news, uh, I guess depending on how you look at it. Um, good news is that we have filled all of the remaining Operation Love Your Neighbor events that we have planned. Like you have filled them up, they are full. And so thank you to those of you that have uh, volunteered or will be volunteering. Um, the bad news is if you wanted to volunteer, you waited too long, um, there's always next year, I guess, or you could just go out on your own and love your neighbor. Um, but we do have one last bonus opportunity to be a part of what uh, we're doing to serve our community and love our neighbors well this year. Uh, we've done this in the past. We are uh, collecting food and sending it to the Milwaukee Rescue Mission to bless uh, uh, their, the families at their uh, Cross Trainers Academy, their school. And so uh, if you would like to be a part of that, uh, there's a simple way that you can. You can grab these bags. There's two of them out in the lobby on the tables. And we have a grocery list. Um, we're hoping to provide a nice Thanksgiving meal uh, for a family at the, uh, each bag will provide a Thanksgiving meal for a family at the Milwaukee Rescue Mission. And then also just some, uh, some canned goods, some things that they could use to fill their pantry. So uh, if you would like to do that, grab the bags and the list. Now, if you're watching online or if you forget or if you have friends and family that want to get involved in this, you don't have to use the green bags. We'll allow other bags to be used. So you can use your own bags. And then this list is on our website. So if you head to northbrookchurch.org, uh, you'll see on our homepage a link you can click on to get this list. So again, uh, if you're here, you want to grab these, great. If you forget or you're watching online, 
you can use your own bags and head to our website. Um, we do need them turned in in the next two weeks. So you have next weekend and then the weekend after that to bring the groceries in. Um, you can bring them in on the weekend or during the week during our office hours. And our goal, our goal is that we would bless 300 families. Uh, so there's two bags per family, so 600 bags. Uh, 300 families would be blessed through Northbrook. Can we do that? Can we do that? All right. Now, those of you that said yes and are clapping, you definitely need to grab a bag on your way out. Your neighbors know who you are. A couple weeks ago, my wife and I were at Kohl's, 30% off coupon in hand. Yeah, it's a big deal. And uh, we were actually looking, uh, we were actually on a hunt for me. Uh, we were actually looking for some dress clothes that I could use to preach on the weekend, want to look good for you people. And uh, so uh, we pulled out a bunch of outfits and I went in the dressing room and it was quite the process and no, I don't want to talk about it. But eventually we, we, uh, we, we found one outfit, one pair of jeans and a shirt, dress shirt. And so we uh, left the dressing room and if you've been in Coles, there are two big entrances and uh, the guy's entrance, the, all of the cash registers, all the checkouts were closed. So uh, we're like, all right, no problem. So we headed over to the opposite side of the store uh, to check out. We were, you know, talking. We weren't really paying attention. And finally, as we got close, we both looked up at the same time and we just stopped dead in our tracks. Because on that side of the store, there were three checkouts open. And there was a line of at least 30 people going towards the side of the store, all the way back to the very side of the store. And this was a Thursday afternoon. This was not Black Friday. And immediately I thought, I don't need to look good for the people of Northbrook. They love me (laughs) just as I am. Old clothes are coming back in style anyway. There was just something in me that immediately said, no way. Now here, I got to be honest, we had nothing going the rest of the day. There was nothing on our agenda, no pressing things we had to do after this shopping trip. There was nothing. And yet, something deep inside me said it would be irresponsible to get in that line. (laughs) Can't do it. Now, after much complaining under my breath, we did get in line, and the line moved okay. Shout out to the three people at Kohl's that were working that day. They did awesome. But it got me thinking. Someone once said, I want patience, and I want it right now. doesn't that kind of sum up our culture in a nutshell? I mean, we are conditioned to not have to wait for pretty much anything. We have fast food. We have on-demand movies. We have self-checkout at grocery stores. Apparently self-checkout wasn't enough. So now the latest thing is you can, you, you know, you can go online, you can purchase your groceries, and then I just drive up to Meyer, open my trunk, and they bring the groceries to you. What a world. We live in a world where, where we don't have to wait very long for much at all. And, and the gold standard of not having to wait, in my opinion, is Amazon Prime. Like, Amazon Prime continues to set the bar. Like, have you, those of you that have Amazon Prime, have you noticed that now there's like same, a lot of items have like same day or within 24 hours? Like, I'm just, I'm just imagining, like, my grandkids are going to go on Amazon Prime and they're going to scroll through thousands of items. They're going to purchase something and then they're going to sigh and they're going to go, ugh. And then 60 seconds later, they're going to walk outside and the drone's just going to drop the package in their arms. Like that's right. Like it's going to be like our form of dial up. Like they're, that's, they're going to be like, you had to wait for a package for a whole six hours. Uh, a couple months ago, my, my daughter bought a Lego, um, 
She saved up her money. She bought this Lego, but it wasn't on Amazon. It was cheaper on the Lego store. And so she bought it, and uh, we didn't think anything of it. We helped her. She's seven years old, so technically it was her money, but we, we went online, and we bought it for her. Didn't think anything of it. And the next day, she's like, where's my Lego? And we were like, I was like, honey, we need to have the snail mail talk with her. So we set her down, and we're like, it's not coming for a week. Right? It's like she's grown up in a world where packages come the next day. And, and it's as, as much fun as I can make of her, like, I... I'm an impatient person. My wife makes fun of me because um, I like to listen to podcasts. Any people, anyone, anyone likes to listen to podcasts? Of course, the Northbrook podcast, right? That's the main one you go. Yeah, of course. Um, but did you know there's this beautiful thing when you when you when you're on Apple iTunes when you when you're listening to a podcast on the bottom left corner? There's this thing that'll change your life. It is the speed on which you listen to the podcast. You can hit double speed. I hit double speed, and man, like I get through so many more podcasts. So much, so much more productive. Um, of course, don't do that with the Northbrook podcast, but any other podcast would be, would be fair game. We live in a world where we want results, and we want them right away. When's the last time you heard an exercise program or a weight loss program say, we guarantee results in a year? No, no, we want, we want our beach body in two weeks. And yet, when it comes to the kingdom of God, invading our world, when it comes to God's goodness and his love and his truth spreading over our planet, you can't rush transformation. There's no double speed. There's no Amazon Prime, next day delivery. The kingdom of God advances, but God is very patient. As you read the Old Testament and the New Testament, if you, if you, if you take away nothing else, you should at least take away this. God is very patient with our world. And his kingdom is advancing, but it's not, it's not rushed. It's a slow, steady march. Author, pastor Eugene Peterson once said, following Jesus is a long obedience in the same direction. Following Jesus is a long obedience in the same direction. Bringing God's goodness into the world will require, on our part, perseverance, determination, grit, obedience, and patience. The kingdom of God isn't a microwave, it's a slow cooker. The kingdom of God isn't a 30-minute sitcom. The kingdom of God is all 20-plus hours of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings extended editions. The kingdom of God advances, but it would be a mistake to think that we can rush it. The kingdom of God invades our world slowly as Christians wake up every day and faithfully love and live like Jesus. So here's what I would like us to wrestle with today. Here's the question. Is there an area of your life where you've stopped being faithful to what you know God wants you to do because you're not seeing quick results? We live in a world where we expect quick results, and if we're not getting quick results, well, then we abandon what we're doing and try something else. But here's the reality. When it comes to following Jesus, it's not about success. It's about obedience. Obedience to what you know God is inviting you to do 
even when the results aren't there. So often we, we let impatience ruin what God is up to in our lives. Throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, we, we see constant examples of people who, who hurt themselves, who ruin their lives because they lacked patience. Uh, one of the stories, uh, one of the, the fascinating stories in the Old Testament is found in Exodus 32. The Israelites have left Egypt. Most of us are familiar with that story. They're in bondage in Egypt, and God sends Moses, and Moses uh, gets them out of Egypt. God uses Moses uh, through signs and wonders. They eventually get out of Egypt, and then they come to the Red Sea, and they're like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? Pharaoh's army's coming after them, and God parts the Red Sea, and they've seen God do these incredible things, right? Like their faith and trust in God should be through the roof. And they get out into the wilderness, and in Exodus 32, they've been out in the wilderness for about three months, and Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to get the, the marching orders, uh, the instructions from God, commandments from God. And they're waiting for Moses, and they've been waiting for 40 days. And it's easy to read these stories and go, ah, 40 days, whatever. But when's the last time that you set out in the wilderness for 40 days waiting on someone? I didn't think so. So they're waiting for Moses for 40 days, and they're trying to grow impatient. They've seen God do incredible things, but it's not about what God did yesterday. It's what God's doing now, right? We want God to do something now. And so they grow impatient, and they're like, maybe, maybe Moses died, like maybe God got bored of us, like maybe God, the, the miraculous God that did the miracles changed his mind about us. And so they grow so impatient, they, they ask Aaron, who's the de facto leader, because Moses and Joshua are up on Mount Sinai, they say, hey, we need, we need a God we can see, we need, we need movement, we need action. And so Aaron has them melt all their gold, and he, he constructs this golden calf, this idol that they worship. And Moses comes down shortly thereafter, and he's got the Ten Commandments in hand, and he's so angry, he breaks them, right? Throws them on the ground. So those of you that have broken one of the Ten Commandments, don't feel bad. Moses broke all ten at once. (laughs) That's a dad joke right there. And if you follow the story to its conclusion, 3,000 Israelites die because of their impatience. If they just waited a little longer, if they had trusted God a little more. And we see this play out throughout the scriptures. I'll give you one more example. Uh, the first king of Israel, his name was Saul, and he, he was given the, the nation to rule over. He was blessed by God. And everything starts to turn and go south for Saul when he's impatient. There's a story, he is leading the, the Israelite army into battle and they're, they're going to give a sacrifice to God before they go into battle and he's supposed to wait for the prophet Samuel to show up and do the sacrifice. Well, Samuel is late, he, Samuel's not coming and so Saul grows impatient, the soldiers are impatient and so Saul does the sacrifice that he should have waited Samuel, for Samuel to do. He does it himself. He disobeys what he knows God wants him to do and Samuel shows up not much long after that And that is the beginning of the end of Saul's kingship over Israel because of his impatience. How often, I wonder, in life do we miss out on what God is wanting to do because we're impatient? How different could Saul's reign have been over Israel if he had just been a little more impatient? I wonder how often God says, you you are so close, you just got to be patient a little longer. I want to contrast their impatience with Someone else's patience in the New Testament. Uh, most of us are familiar with Saul, not 
King Saul in the Old Testament, Saul, Saul of Tarsus in the New Testament, otherwise known as the Apostle Paul. And his story is a fascinating one. He grows up a Jewish young man, raised in a religious home. He becomes a Pharisee. He is a religious leader that is on the fast track to success. He is respected. He's well-liked. And he starts to make a name for himself persecuting followers of Jesus. He starts rounding them up, throwing them in prison, standing by as they're killed. And then something happens. He's on the road to Damascus, and, and Jesus appears to him. There's a, there's a bright light. And everything changes for Paul. He becomes the biggest witness the biggest missionary of the first century. And you know, it's interesting, uh, just a side note, you know, sometimes we, we go, I wish, I wish we had a little more evidence that our faith is, is real. Like, you know, it's, uh, you know we, it's impossible to please God without faith, but I wish we had a little more factual evidence that could support Christianity. And one, of the, one, one beautiful thing, one beautiful piece of evidence that we have is Paul's life. Because it is, it is historical that Paul was a real person who was a Pharisee who was rising up the ranks, who had success, who had um, favor with the Jewish people. And then on the road to Damascus, something happened because it's a historical fact that Paul, Saul who comes Paul, gives it all away. And he becomes an advocate that Jesus died and rose again. And he would go all over the known world spreading that message, even though it cost him all of his success, all of his money, all of his relationships— he would be persecuted, and eventually he would be martyred because he claimed that Jesus actually did die and rise again. Like Now, that's hard to explain if Christianity is just some made-up fairy tale. But here's where I want to focus on, because most of us are familiar with Paul, but here's where I don't think we, we talk about enough when it comes to Paul's life, Saul who becomes Paul the Apostle. When you look at Paul's life, it's easy to read the book of Acts and go, yeah, he, you know, he did some incredible things for God, and God used him mightily. But most days for Paul, there was nothing glamorous about what he did. Most days for Paul were rather boring and were simply a long obedience in the same direction. Most days for Paul, it was simply being faithful to what God wanted him to do despite persecution, being thrown in prison, misunderstandings in his churches that he planted, the Roman Empire against him. And yet many days, what it looked like to be faithful and patient to what God was calling him to do was to get up and walk to the next town. You know, it's easy to, to miss how much Paul moved around the country, the known world, sharing the gospel. Because, you know, when you read Acts, you're like, oh, he went to the next town. Oh, he went to the next town. But we got to remember, in Paul's day, there's nothing glamorous about travel. There's no planes automobiles, trains, right? Like for Paul, going to the next town meant walking. It meant walking on dusty roads. It meant sleeping in a tent or sleeping out in the elements. It meant carrying all his provisions on a, in a backpack or a bag. And an occasional boat ride. But this is not Carnival Cruise. This is a, a, a small, these are small boats. You sleep on a wooden floor. You eat basic provisions. You're, you're subject to the elements. There's nothing glamorous about travel, but here's what's interesting. Do you know how much Paul traveled over the course of his ministry? When you add up all of the travel that Paul did over the course of his ministry, Paul traveled 10,000 miles. Now, to put that in context, that would be like walking from New York to L.A. and back again, that's 5,000. 
Paul did 10. Essentially, Paul walked from New York to LA back again, and then New York to LA back again, with an occasional boat ride thrown in over the course of his ministry. There's nothing glamorous about it. And again, this, it's not like he's a celebrity. On the way, he's being chased out of pet towns. He's being thrown into prison. He's being beaten. He's being whipped. He's, he's finding out that the churches he planted are having problems and issues. Like, it is a gigantic mess. In fact, when Paul goes to his death, he's, he's imprisoned. We believe Nero executes him. When he goes to his death, there is no assurance that all of his work is going to make it out of the first century. There's no assurance that everything that he's done is going to be a legacy that's worth the pain, the sweat, the tears. But Paul was faithful. He was obedient. He didn't always see results. It was a long, slow obedience in the same direction. Being a follower of Jesus is a simple, slow obedience in the same direction, even when we don't see results. Luke 13, 18 through 19, Jesus says, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. What is the kingdom of God like? It's like a mustard seed. Any gardeners or planters in the room, anyone that likes to be outside and do that sort of thing, oh, bless you. That is wonderful. That is not me. I'm so thankful for Ikea fake plants and farmer's markets. But I do know people, I do know people that, that garden and plant and I'm very envious of their abilities. But here's what I know from my friends that actually know what they're doing. Gardening requires patience. And Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, a very tiny, tiny seed that is planted, cared for, and one day, long, long in the future, you wake up and it's this giant tree. But in the middle, it's a whole lot of patience. See, there are moments in our life where we look around and we feel like nothing's happening. Right? If you look at a, you look at a plant or a tree in the moment, it doesn't look like anything's happening. But it would be a mistake to assume when you look at a tree that nothing's happening. There, there is something happening. It's just a slow process. And when it comes to your life, you can look around and go, nothing's happening. God's not at work in anything I'm doing. And it would be a mistake to assume that because God works through faithful obedience slowly. One moment at a time. So practically speaking, what does it look like to faithfully show up every day? What does it look like to faithfully show up every day? I want to, I want to get as practical as I can. So I want to give you two thoughts before we close on what it looks like to practically show up with faithful obedience. Number one, the kingdom grows in your habits. The kingdom grows in your habits. It's, it's so easy as, as Americans living in 2022 to abandon any habit where we don't immediately see results. And yet when it comes to the habits that God invites us into, it's not about results. It's about faithfulness. Habits require time. Uh, it's basketball season. Any basketball fans in the room? Bucks are 2-0. and oh. All right. Uh, my kids play 
uh, basketball. My oldest, my 13-year-old, my 10-year-old play basketball, and we're in basketball season. And so occasionally they'll head out to our driveway to shoot hoops, and I'll go out with them. And this conversation has happened multiple times, multiple times. They will go out, and they'll start shooting hoops. And after about 15 or 20 minutes, they'll start to get frustrated that they're not making every shot. And so I've developed a phrase that I share with them that they absolutely love. Um, I'll say, don't whine if you're not going to do the time. They just love when I say that. (laughs) But what I mean by that, the sermon that I give them, is you are not going to become great at basketball by spending 15 minutes out in our driveway. You are not going to be great at basketball for spending an hour in our driveway. You look at the great athletes, right? Giannis, the, the LeBrons, the Kobe's, the Michael Jordans. They spend hours and hours and hours perfecting their craft. And yet I think about how often we abandon our spiritual habits when we don't immediately see results. Pastor John, I, I tried praying when I was in college and I just didn't feel like anything was happening. Prayer's not for me. I tried reading my Bible. Northbrook had that reading challenge. I tried reading through the New Testament. Let me tell you, I just didn't get anything out of it. Reading the Bible must not be for me. Oh, I, tr- I joined a life group, tried to be in community with other Christians. You wouldn't believe those people, Pastor John. Like, community's not for me. Could it be you abandoned that habit too soon? Or maybe, maybe you didn't get creative with that habit. I think part of being a, an obedient, faithful follower of Christ is, is finding a way that the habits we know God is inviting us into, finding ways that they're life-giving. I've used this example before. For many years, I tried to pray sitting down in a chair with my eyes closed because that's how I thought you had to do it, and I was miserable. Just was not life-giving. Was, didn't feel like I was connecting. It was very hard for me to focus. And then one day in my 20s, I started running, and I started praying while I was running, and everything changed. It was like suddenly prayer was life-giving, and I felt like I was actually connecting with God. So now hear me. I'm not suggesting that everyone go out and run this afternoon, though it is a beautiful day. Some of you, that would be torture and not connecting with God at all. Here's what I'm saying. Find, be creative in finding a way to make the habit of prayer life-giving. Be creative and find a way that reading your Bible is life-giving. Be creative and find a way that being in community with other followers of Jesus, because we know that's what God asked us to do, that find a way that that is helpful in growing in your faith, but realize that you may not see results right away. You may not feel like your habit is successful right away. And if you come to me, I'm going to say, don't whine. If you're not gonna, No, I won't say that. I'll be very compassionate. So is there a habit that you know deep down that God is inviting you into? A spiritual habit? I don't know when you want to say spiritual because all habits, there's no, there's no such thing as non-spiritual and spiritual. It's just all spiritual. Is there a habit that you know God is inviting you into? And maybe you've given up on that habit because you didn't see results right away. And what would it look like to re-engage with that habit in an effort to connect with your Heavenly Father and bring His goodness into the world? Secondly, the kingdom grows in your faithful witness. I've been in youth ministry for 16 years, working with 6th to 12th graders, and if I'm being completely honest, there are many, many days where I wonder, what in the world are we doing in youth ministry? Like, there are Wednesday nights when I leave and I think to myself, did we do anything other than babysit those 170 students that were in our doors? So it doesn't feel like anything's happening. 
There's certainly seasons where I'm like, boy, God, like, are, am I missing something? Is there a better plan that I'm just not aware of? Like, can we speed this process up of transformation in young people's lives? Like, is there... And then every once in a while, like, God is gracious enough to be like, all right, John, you, you need a little encouragement. Here you go. And uh, this last month was uh, another example. We got a, an email from one of our leaders that had been a volunteer that had been a part of Seven for a while and had recently uh, stepped down because her son had graduated from high school. And she sent us an email. Her son is now at college, and he was um, at college chatting with a friend that was from this area. And uh, that friend was trying to re-engage with his faith. Uh, he was in a difficult place in life, and and so he decided that he was going to turn back to his faith. And, and his friend mentioned that when he was in middle school, one of the reasons that he was wanting to re-engage with his faith was that he had attended our student ministry just for seven or eight times while he was in middle school. Not a ton, just like seven or eight times. But he mentioned that when he had attended our ministry, it was the most peaceful he had felt his entire life. And here's the thing. I, that was, he was in middle school five, six, seven years ago. And if it wasn't for a very coincidental chance, I would have never known that. But don't miss, don't miss what's interesting here. It took five or six years for what happened in his life in middle school to actually come back around. God is at work even when you don't see results. Some of you, some of you are like, you know, I know that I'm supposed to love that family member, but I, but I tried and I just didn't, nothing was happening. I know I, I tried in engaging with that neighbor, that coworker, that friend. Like I, I felt like God was inviting me to it, but nothing was happening, and I just, I just, just gave up. You don't know how long it may take for your faithfulness to come back around in their life. You don't know by your simply showing up and loving them and being faithful to what God is inviting you to do in their life, no matter how difficult or nasty or prickly they are. You don't know how God's going to use that down the road. Because here's the beauty of it. Your job is not to get results. That's God's job. Your job is to simply show up and be obedient. And as you show up and be obedient, you can give the results to God and not worry if you don't immediately see a payoff. Because God is patient. God's not playing the short game. God is interested in the long game. God's not playing checkers. God's playing chess. And we, even when we don't see the moves, we can trust that he is in control and he is inviting us to simply show up and be faithful in the lives of the people we interact with. So what would it look like this week to re-engage in a relationship that you haven't seen a lot of results? You feel like you're showing up and you're loving and engaging with the person and just nothing's happening. What would it look like to faithfully engage in that relationship again, but give the results to God? Just simply show up and trust that God is working through your faithfulness. My favorite uh, written prayer outside of the Lord's Prayer uh, is called the Romero Prayer. It was written by a bishop in 1979 on the anniversary of the death of uh, Romero. And every once in a while, when I'm feeling discouraged, when I'm feeling overwhelmed, when I'm questioning my role in all of this, bringing God's kingdom down to earth, uh, I read this prayer. And so I want to close by reading this prayer to you, and my, my hope is that this will be an encouragement, and this will be a reminder of what God is inviting you to do this week. So here it is. 
It helps now and then to step back and take the long view. The kingdom is not only beyond our efforts, it is even beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is God's work. Nothing we do is complete, which is another way of saying that the kingdom always lies beyond us. No statement says all that could be said. No prayer fully expresses our faith. No confession brings perfection. No pastoral visit brings wholeness. No program accomplishes the church's mission. No set of goals and objectives include everything. So this is what we are about. We plant the seeds that one day will grow. We water the seeds already planted, knowing that they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that produces effects far beyond our capabilities. We cannot do everything, and there is a sense of liberation in realizing that. This enables us to do something and to do it well. It may be incomplete, but it is a beginning, a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and do the rest. We may never see the end results, but that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers, not master builders. Ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future, not our own. So let's end where we started. Is there an area of your life where you've stopped being faithful to what you know God wants you to do because you're not seeing quick results? And if there is, what would it look like to begin a slow obedience in the same direction this week? Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your patience with us, your patience with me. Father, I pray that you would give us all great wisdom and courage to step into the areas where we've grown impatient, uh, to step into areas where there's some work to do this week. Father, may we trust you with the results. And may we simply be faithful to do what you've invited us to do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.